Hey, everyone. I'm running a bit behind, so I'm just going to kind of jump in. Normally, I like to give some buffer time, get the previews in, let everyone get their snacks, what have you. But uh, because I'm procrastinating running behind, I'm just going to kind of jump in and people can kind of join when they want. Uh, this is episode 18, uh, Nina versus Media Live. I'm Stephen L. Miller. Uh, you know me from Twitter's Red Steez and also versus Media Podcast on Patreon. And I'm going to kind of rewind a little bit. I know in this ever-changing fast news cycle, uh, we're already kind of on to other things. But um, I I just missed talking about this on Colin last week. I was just putting too many bodies in the ground. Um, So I was supposed to do this Saturday. And uh, I just had, again, too many things I had to put out personally. So I pushed this to Monday night. I'll also probably have one of these on Friday as well, uh, just to kind of catch up. And as you can probably guess from the title, like I said, we're going to kind of go back to last week with uh, Nina Jankowicz resigning from Department of Homeland Security and for at least now Joe Biden's board on disinformation being paused. Uh, I, I would say pause is probably the wrong word. I've read they're just going to reimagine this. They're probably going to put somebody else in charge of it that doesn't have such a checkered uh, weird social media history. And as I as I let you guys jump in here, um, I personally don't really care too much about like the theater stuff and the Mary Poppins stuff and the TikToks. Um, I, I mean, she just comes from that younger generation where even like our highest government officials are going to have a TikTok footprint, which is terrifying in and of itself. Um, so as far as commenting on stuff, keep the personal stuff to a minimum. Um, if you have comments uh, just about the board itself or about even the very idea of a disinformation board, um, she resigned from DHS and has now been going around doing media. She's active on Twitter again. And I saw a couple of people suggest, and I, th- and I agree with this, that one of the reasons she resigned is so she could uh, kind of jump in and do this stuff. She could, you know, get back on Twitter. She could get back and do media rounds. Um, I personally think she's going to be a contributor, probably most likely at MSNBC or CNN and peddled off as a disinformation expert. And of course, one of the biggest problems about all of this is that she herself seems to be a partisan bureaucrat. She's used the resistance hashtag. Uh, she comes off as like one of those kind of crazy resistance, you know, reply guys from Twitter. And I don't mean that personally. I just mean her, just her Twitter account. Uh, she, of course, used Taylor Lorenz from the Washington Post, who was uh, a willing tool, as she usually is, to kind of set the narrative that one of the reasons the disinformation board was dissolved is because she herself was a victim of disinformation. And as I noted on my podcast that kind of probably means you're not very good at your job, okay? If you're a disinformation expert and you get taken out on the very first go, <laughs> you probably don't need to be anywhere near this job to begin with. Um, I, 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 I marvel that she thinks that this is going to work. And of course it's going to work, and that's part of why she's going to try to join the media so she won't have to face any questions from the media. So she'll, she'll be sitting across from Jake Tapper and talking about Russia and disinformation and, and all of this stuff. And, and no journalist or Tapper is going to look at her and go, yeah, but I mean, you, you kind of trafficked in this stuff yourself though, right? Well, no, you're not, you're not giving me context. And so you're seeing these broad accusations 
and neither Lorenz, which I wrote about several times, or Jankowicz has given an explanation as to what was misrepresented, um, other than quoting her directly, what was decontextualized. This is another favorite. There's, there's a favorite terminology with these people that you will see continuously pop up. One is con- context. We need to add context. And she just had a thread today where she interacted with some of my favorite Twitter users, Gerald Bayer from formerly Weekly Standard, and of course, Noam Blum and the untaster of Tablet Mac. And she accused them all of stripping away context. And of course, the other term you're going to hear a lot about is bad faith. Uh, I noted Charlie Warzel from the New York Times, or formerly New York Times, who's now on Substack, aren't they all? Use the term bad faith four times in one piece. And this is what you hear is that Nina Jankowicz was a victim of a bad faith, disinformation, decontextualized campaign. And it's very important. This is one of bad faith is one of the like the favorite terms of media, especially when it comes to people like me and critics on the right um, who, you know, come at these people and I don't have to earn their respect. I'm not out there to get into their parties and I'm not out here doing this to be their friend. And so you hear this term bad faith. There's a lot of reporters who love using it. Dave Weigel, The Washington Post, uh, Angie Kaczynski, CNN, or just to name a couple or two that love this term. Um, ben Smith, formerly of BuzzFeed, likes using it. Maggie Haberman likes using it. And it's important to, it's important to recognize what they mean. So when you see a reporter or a journalist say this is a bad faith argument, you have to understand what this means. And what this means is basically the wrong people are right about something. And what do I mean by the wrong people? Well, it could be political acts. So it could be someone who is an open partisan like me, which I fully admit that's what I am. Um, but it doesn't mean that you're wrong. So, for instance, when Nina Jankowicz pushes the, the debunked 50 Intel experts weigh in on Hunter Biden's laptop as a Russian misinformation operation, and we weigh in and go, oops, it wasn't. Why haven't you backtracked this? They are immediately going to jump to, this is bad faith, when it doesn't matter what the faith is. All that matters is, is it correct or not? It's their way of saying it's the wrong people who are right about something. And, and who would the right people be? Well, it's their colleagues who will never call this stuff out. Uh, it's their social circles, especially in New York, D.C. It's the happy hour circles, whatever. And so you're going to see these terms thrown around a lot as it pertains to Jankowicz. One of the other one of the big facts about this is she was not the victim of a disinformation campaign because she has yet to specify, either does Taylor Lorenz, specify what disinformation was being spread about Jankowicz. Now, you can argue there were mean tweets about her TikToks, for instance, or uh, her viral clips or her Harry Potter band or whatever. And as I and I, as I argue, um, welcome to the internet where everybody literally gets made fun of. Um and again, I would argue that those are those are side distractions. If you notice me personally, I very rarely commented on any of that stuff. Um, this idea that someone who has just been given an, an unvetted and uh, unconfirmed director position inside the Department of Homeland Security for something called the Disinformation Board should not face scrutiny for her past comments is beyond laughable. Um, and the other thing you will note that, and this is reported by Free Beacon, is that uh, it wasn't a disinformation campaign that tanked her. It wasn't uh, Republicans. It wasn't uh, people on Twitter. It was Senate Democrats who called off the hearing at which she was scheduled to appear. 
um, they need to be asked, she should be asked, like, why if then if it was Senate Democrats who kind of, put, you know, put the kibosh on this? And it's because we know that she was going to get hammered for some of this stuff. She was going to be asked about, um, you know, the Alpha Bank stuff and, and her, she herself trafficking in disinformation campaigns. Um, we noted today, you know, she she had retweeted the. Uh, as we learned about Robbie Mook and the Clinton campaign's involvement in pushing the Alpha Bank Russia ties to server Trump campaign, whatever, uh, through his own personal testimony, uh, we know that she pushed that. Uh, we know that she pushed the, the debunked Hunter Biden stuff. She phone banked for Hillary Clinton. She is a rabid partisan bureaucrat, and she can claim that she's going to leave all of that at the door all she wants, uh, except nobody believes her. And that's ultimately why this thing failed is they did not vet this pick. And as I said on my podcast, it, this was really weird how this all came together and then fell apart. It came together and fell apart without a single statement from the president. Uh, it came together and fell apart with Jen Psaki, not knowing who this woman was after being asked about it. And like I said, it was weird how this whole thing was revealed by her on Twitter, kind of seeming like she appointed herself to the position and that's honestly what it felt like to me. It felt like to me she probably contacted someone inside DHS and said, hey, I want to do this thing. I want to do this project. And they all were just like, yeah, do it. Leave us alone, whatever. And they didn't vet this pick. They didn't comb through the social media history and go, eh, is this really the best person to do this? So as we saw today, she's kind of on offense now on Twitter, and we're going to see more of this. Um, she's going to continue doing the media rounds. And as I stated here in the description, uh, which hopefully doesn't have that many typos. Uh, if you care about free speech and if you care about um, debate and if you care about this stuff, you should want her out there doing this because she is not a good face uh, and she is not someone who uh, is, is a good face for the political left to be out here calling disinformation on everything, which is what appears that she does, which is things she simply disagrees with is disinformation. Um, Jankowicz is someone who belongs on Twitter and she belongs nowhere near a director position of the DHS deciding what is and is not disinformation. Uh, there's already contradictions based on a statement that she wrote today on exactly what this board was supposed to do. They said that this was supposed to be foreign campaigns such as Russia, uh, campaign interference, and then migration. And she stated today that this was going to also be involved in domestic policy. And so you know that this has to do with trying to get social media companies to get certain users blocked, banned, shadow banned, or uh, as she stated, she wanted to, the ability to edit even tweets. And this is someone who, again, would have, hold, would have held, and I will argue still will, uh, undue influence over platforms like Twitter and Facebook to decide who gets to be on these platforms, what gets to be said on these platforms. Uh, the thing I'll just kind of finish up here before uh, we jump in, is the argument from Jankowicz, sorry, the French Bulldogs are going cuckoo, hey, the, uh, the argument from Jankowicz and the political left is the reason why people are speaking up, people on the right, people like me, is because we traffic in disinformation. Well, that's not true. Um, that, that's not what this is about. We, we don't need a government oversight board deciding what is and what is not said on social media. Period. That can be accurate information, or I will argue it can be disinformation. The only way around limiting disinformation, whatever they want to label that, 
is to have a better media. And that's a media people can trust. So when someone goes out and says something, who's a reporter for CNN or CBS, we can trust this person to believe they are telling us the truth. Well, we generally know that what journalists do is not really tell us the truth anymore. This is the problem, and this is the problem that none of them want to confront. And this is the problem with why people like me, my podcast, and this call-in platform and my platform exist is because they're no longer interested in telling us what the truth is. They have an agenda bias. Uh, Just in the last two days, two star White House reporters who made their name during the Trump administration have just revealed themselves to just be completely raging partisan hacks. It's Jim Acosta who agreed with Carl Cameron on his CNN show that people should be start to be put in jail over disinformation. And Acosta agreed with this. Today we have Yumi Shalcinder saying uh, about voter suppression laws in Georgia, these black people, Republicans think black people don't deserve the access to citizenship in the way that other Americans do, that they haven't worked for it and they don't understand the weight of American democracy. This comes in lieu of the information that, Voting across Georgia is at record numbers, and they basically got the all-star game kicked out of Georgia over a lie. You don't see too many reporters coming out and saying that happened to have been disinformation when Stacey Abrams was pushing and uh, what the Lincoln groomers were pushing about getting corporations to speak out. Uh, you're not seeing a lot of mea culpas today. This is a perfect example of what I'm talking about. The reason why disinformation is prevalent on social media is because we don't have a media that anyone can trust anymore. And so my kind of attitude is to just kind of, you know, enjoy the warmth from the flames. You guys created the situation. You decided being, you know, partisan watchdogs was more important than being journalists, following the facts and following the truth, no matter where they lead. So, yes, there are problems with disinformation. There's problems with people pushing things. But if you notice, this problem always points in one direction. And until that is dealt with and these people, you know, either turn their industry around or these the people in charge of this industry hire better reporters who aren't hell bent on a partisan uh, narrative, then disinformation is going to continue to run rampant. So uh, my, my argument to that and to Ms. Jankowicz is, we, you guys created the situation. And so now you're all going to have to deal with it. Sorry. Those are the rules. So. I want you guys' thoughts on this. I want your thoughts on um, what you saw over the last week. I want some of your thoughts on the disinformation board. It can be on social media. It can be on tweets you've seen. Um, as I've said, keep the uh, the personal sniping to a minimum. That's not what I'm really here for. I, I don't care if you throw in something once in a while. I make fun of it too. Um, but again, I, I want the focus to kind of be on what this mission was. Um, there's a few other things you can feel free to dive into as well. You can dive into the, the Washington Post report from Lorenz, um, which I wrote was just completely some of the sloppiest journalism I've just plainly ever seen. Um, Taylor Lorenz names some mysterious entity called the far right, but doesn't link to anything of the far right. So it's she's kind of blaming this on the cloud from the never ending story, apparently, for why this board uh, was dissolved, or at least is back under the covers to be rethought um, and reimagined. So, uh, anything on that? And I know because there's several other things going on. Um, feel free to weigh in. But like I said, that's kind of the topic at hand. Uh, we'll go until about 
Uh, I'm gonna we'll go for about an hour. Sorry, your host has a hockey game to get to tonight, and it's a playoff game. Uh, no, it's not NHL. It's my own game. Um, so we'll go for a little bit over an hour. I'll take as many callers as who want to speak. And like I said, give me some thoughts on what you think about this, some observations, um, how you think that this is going to come back, because I do think this is going to come back, uh, this board. Uh, I know that there's a bill, I think, right now floating through the Senate or the House, one of the two, to defund this board uh, when it comes through. And so uh, this, by all means, is not going to go away especially as we get closer to uh, the November elections where you're going to hear this pounded on the table. And as I said, my bet is uh, Nina Jankowicz is going to cash in very nicely with a pretty sweet contributor deal. I'm going to, I'm going to call, I'm going to call it CNN because this is one of their bags. They, they love talking about Fox news and media and that's about it. So I'm going to say within the month or two, she will be labeled as a disinformation expert contributor for CNN, and she will be making the rounds uh, as far as Stelter's show is concerned, if he's still around in a month, um, and whatnot. So again, uh, just some basic ground, just some basic groundworks. Uh, just be mindful that because we are on a limited time, there are people behind you. Um, so feel free to give out some thoughts, comments, questions. Um, but again, just be mindful that uh, there's probably some people in the queue behind you. Uh, for you first timers, if this is kind of your first or second one. Like I said, um, I like hearing just from the audience and I like hearing from just uh, you guys. I'm not interested in having, you know, two fundits up here talk to you or lecture to you. So um, by all means, jump in with your thoughts. Don't be embarrassed. Don't think anything stupid. Um, we kind of like to treat this like a drunken C-SPAN session. So think of it that way. So again, if you have thoughts or whatever, uh, feel free to jump in the queue, introduce yourself. Um, I also, if any of you have updates on the situation with your baby formula, I'm willing to hear that as well. We had a pretty good episode last week over the baby formula shortage. I heard from a lot of new parents who were struggling with this. Um, so let's see if any of you got any of c containers of brand new German formula, uh, which was just flown in from Europe, I guess, instead of lifting tariffs in Canada and Mexico to have formula ordered themselves. Um, I'm going to be interested just kind of off that topic to see how this goes. If uh, the administration kind of now taking over baby formula transportation, if that's going to go the way COVID tests went, which is uh, limited amounts where it goes to in the country, if it goes to certain communities over other communities, if it goes to certain states over other states. So I think that that's going to be the next development in all of this. So, again, if you still have that story, I'm willing to uh, hear from that as well and, and, and tell me what you are going through with that, if uh, you're a person going through it, if you know friends or family. So, like I said, we'll go, we'll go until about half after, 20 after uh, the hour, and uh, we'll just jump in. Matt from Massachusetts. Hey, your memory's getting better than your ability to pronounce uh, last names. There we go. Hey, um, no update in baby formula. I'm like three news cycles behind. I, I'm I'm still waiting to get the update on the uh, Roe versus Wade leak. So, um, yeah, right, right. I'll be I'll be dead and six feet under by the time that thing happens. Um, the 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 disinformation board. Um, I don't really care about this woman that much. I'm not going to make fun of her. I her TikTok videos were terrible. Um, but. I th I think like like you I'm just more concerned that this thing this board uh is even being considered and 
I want nothing to do with it in our government. And everybody should be wildly concerned with that, whether it's a so-called Republican that's going to lead it. And if you listen to her, I think we should hit her MSNBC interview. She mentioned two things which were never kind of written in the job description. Um, she mentioned that they were going to stop misinformation about weather-related events, or I think she maybe said extreme weather-related events. So that, to me, sounds the bell right. that they're going to combat climate change disinformation. And secondly, I think the thing, you've made a couple of good comments, especially in the last podcast. The thing that stood out to me the most is she was trying to like show how not partisan she was. And she said that there was 250,000 employees in the DHS. And she's like, we all have our different political political opinions. Well, that's too many people in a government agency and too many people potentially being involved in controlling information spread. And I just think this whole thing is just a bad idea. It's it, And my my take on it, and I would be curious to hear your your take, is I'm concerned that this thing just gets put in place and the next Republican governor or president, probably Trump or DeSantis, they're just going to turn the guns on the disinformation board directly back to whoever they don't want in power. Yeah, I mean, and and that's that's as clear as day. So when she said 250,000 DHS employees, I assume she's also talking about the TSA. Um, Uh, Yeah, that's at least what I that's at least what I gleaned from that. Um, But to say that you leave your politics at the door, we know that's not true just based on what happened with the FBI and FISA warrants with the Trump campaign. Now, I'm not a pro-Trump MAGA world guy who buys 100% of Trump saying I was spied on and, and all of that stuff, but there was clearly some shenanigans going on. There's enough information now with Robbie Mook and the FISA warrants to Carter Page that the Steele dossier is debunked to put some pieces in place that clearly – a bunch of unelected bureaucrats decided that we're going to undermine a, an elected president. And what I've always said about Trump a, and my problem with the FBI doing what they did is if the country decides to elect a just a raging lunatic, which it, we did, what we've elected them before, he's not the only one, and he decides to just go in day one and hit the nuke button and suddenly Denmark is gone or whatever. Or he does it to buy Greenland or he nukes Canada, God willing. Um, then that's the choice we make as voters. That That is the duty we've been given by the founding fathers, which is a republic if you can keep it. It's not up, it's not up to the FBI or a bunch of, you know, clandestine guys, you know, behind the scenes to act like they're the ones saving the country. It's not their job. Nobody elected them. So again, if we elect a a raging cuckoo to kind of come in and somehow the Republic ends because of it, we chose that. That's our choice. And and future generations can learn from that. And Miller, let's focus on the weather related event. No, I'm getting that. Yeah, I'll I'll get off. Nuking hurricanes, right? Okay, so remember when Trump had the chart and he had his own, like, this hurricane pass? His his Sharpie, right. Yeah, and and so is the DHS going to then counter that misinformation that they label misinformation by holding their own press conference and saying, hey, the president of the United States is spreading disinformation and here's what's actually going to happen? Like, how fucking out of control does this get quickly? I mean, that's something that's certainly believable except you would think that uh, let's say let's say there wasn't a big uh dust cloud over this whole thing let's say jankowicz comes in and she's now you know the nurse ratchet of disinformation for the federal government and then let's say in two and a half years 
President Ron DeSantis is sworn in. And let's say one of his first orders of business is to fire her and fire the board members and put in his own people. Because this isn't a, this isn't a position that apparently needs congressional approval. So apparently yep. you're just you're appointed to it. Okay. Well, because you're under the executive branch, I've now fired all five of you, the, the Kryptonian heads or whatever they are, and I'm going to put my own people in charge. Well, how do you think the media is going to react to that? They're most likely going to react to it the same way they did when uh, Elizabeth Warren created the Consumer Protection Bureau. And, and a bunch of us at that time went, wait, what is this? And then so I think it was Mick Mulvaney was originally put in charge of that and the media threw a shit fit. And they said, you can't come in and just do that. Yeah, well, yes, we can. And, and he just did it. And so most likely that's that's what would that's what would happen. And so all of a sudden the media would then shift their attitude and go, no, no, no this is now a board who's trafficking and disinformation. And we can't trust it and whatever, because sure as day, the people that pushed her out there and the people who defended her, particularly the Washington Post, uh, just jumped right into the corner of defending what this was and what this idea was. And like you said, there it wasn't just going to be on mis- misinformation campaigns in Russia. They were going to do on everything from climate to uh, whatever you might see on Twitter or Facebook. And they wanted the power to essentially limit posts on Facebook. Um, and that is not a power the federal government should have. Any federal government. I, I don't want... Uh, around DeSantis in charge of this board. I don't want, you know, any Republican in charge of this board. I don't want this board to exist. It is not their job. And so, again, yeah, you could have that. You could have Republican administration come in, and like you say, they, they might say something about, uh, I, I don't know, inflation, because this is one we're seeing with CNN and John Harwood. And yeah, maybe the board releases their own statement, or they appear on CNN show and say, no, the president's mistaken. Well, no, then you're fucking fired. And so, and then you have, you know, a whistleblower impeachment or, or all of this shit. So, no, we know how this would go. And that was one of the things, guys, people who spoke out about this said, okay, if you want this board, I hope you're happy when, you know, President, you know, Trump in his second term puts the My Pillow guy in charge of it. Yeah. And I think like the whole thing is how, the question is, how does this work? If, if they're feeding the president information saying Russia is spreading informa- misinformation about the election, um, you know, through Twitter and, and here's the data and we're collecting this. We know that's not what it's going to do or what it's intended. It's basically to create a, an alternative narrative to whatever parties in power that the board necessarily is opposed to. And it's always going to be the Democrats. So, um, yeah, I don't get how anybody can. I think the people are losing focus because they got the person out. But it's not the person that we should be worried about. It's the actual extra layer of government that's being created that is going to, um, you know, do whatever they're going to do. And it's not good. So I'll talk to you later, Miller. Good job. Remember where I live. All right, Matt, Matt from Massachusetts. The joke being that I go, I always thought Matt was in New Jersey and I was always getting that mixed up for some reason, but now it's stuck. I I knew it was going to stick as soon as I'm like, okay, it's from Matt from Massachusetts. Um, Matt's right about uh, the idea that this is why, and I get social media is kind of like the point and laugh uh, circus. Uh, but this is why I always said, you know, her ridiculous TikToks and Showtune shit is just a complete distraction. And he's right when he says that I don't think we're even out of the woods on this. Um, I think that this board is just going to be reimagined with someone more credible put in charge of it. They said Michael Chertoff was called in to uh, 
help with this. And he's a guy who trafficked in disinformation himself. And so we know that no administration is going to appoint a down the middle arbiter of what is and what is not considered disinformation. They're going to appoint someone that can help push their own narrative. Why do we think this? Because that's exactly who Nina Jankowitz is. This is someone who phone banked for Hillary Clinton, used the hashtag I'm with her, used the hashtag resist, pushed all of the Clinton campaign narratives, and she did it with very little skepticism. One of the other things is she took criticism again from the from the political left even in the nation they wrote about her. And I would argue the bulwark is political left and they criticized her. And of course, that was completely left out of Taylor Lorenz and her stupid little, uh, you know, mean girl piece, which just sounded like a diatribe from Live Journal. Uh, with no facts to back it up and no editors. And I, may, and I maintain that the reason why her pieces are so sloppy is because the editors at the Washington Post are terrified of her. For some reason, I don't know what it is. Um, Elizabeth, give me some thoughts on the disinformation board and Nina Jankowicz, who is no longer part of that. Thank you so much for having me up, Stephen. Uh, you may have sort of answered the question that I had already, but I'll go ahead and throw it out there uh, by saying that this uh, Nina Jankowitz woman seemed to come out of left field. And um, I, I recall at a hearing, I'm not sure if it was a Senate hearing or a House hearing, when Mayorkas was testifying and he was asked specifically about the process of hiring her and he I think he said, uh, well, we, you know, there was no hiring process and, you know, she's, she just got the job. Um, so I'm curious if there's that, and I just want to say also that, you know, I'm as far from a Washington insider as you can get. I'm, I'm a nurse, a registered nurse in Southwest Florida, but I'm curious if there's any sort of rumblings about, you know, where she even came from uh, as far as, I mean, I know she claims to be a disinformation expert and this and that, but uh, she just seemed to come out of left field. So I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on that. Thank you. Yeah. So part of that is she worked uh, in Ukraine and she also worked in the UK for the Department of Homeland Security, supposedly monitoring this kind of disinformation campaign and hacking and stuff. What I can tell you is like people I've talked to who have spoken to her colleagues don't think she's very serious. Um, I can't tell you or I'm, I'm not going to divulge who I've spoken to or whatever. Um, just, you know, on background or texting with. Um, but she came from that. She came from this kind of area. She's also written a book. One is about just how women are attacked online. And of course, it's never conservative women because those those women don't matter. Um so she's written a couple of books on this topic, and she comes from apparently this generation where if, if you just self-declare yourself an expert on something, that must make it that must make it so. And so it, it is a little weird. Um, I, I still think the rollout of this was was insane. Like I I still don't understand how this happened. Uh, she wasn't introduced like at a presser, it, she wasn't introduced via a, even a press release saying, you know, DHS employee Nina Jankowicz will be heading up the new disinformation board, which is a division of the Department of Homeland. Like nothing on official letterhead. Like I said, this is a woman who just kind of declared herself the job on Twitter. And uh, I remember like the very first time I heard about this, that her tweet came across my timeline through someone. 
And so I DM'd him. I said, what the hell is this? Like, who is this person? Because I'd never heard of it. I'd never heard of this woman. And neither did, I think, most people, even in conservative media. And so she did seem to come out of left field. And then she, she had an official portrait done already. And again, it was a little fucking weird. Um, and then when, again, my Arcus was questioned on this, uh, he, he was kind of like, he kind of knew who she was and he's, well, she's qualified. And he was asked, is it, what position is this? Is, is, is this a congressional confirmed position? Is this a cabinet position? What is going on? And he's like, no, no, she was just hired. And he was asked if he was aware of her social media history and her tweets and her TikToks. And he was just kind of like, I don't know. I don't know what's going on. And she, of course, kind of went into lockdown mode. So I, I assume that that was on the part of the administration or Mayorkas who said, don't respond to this stuff, just, you know, whatever. Um, and that was one of the gripes that Taylor Lorenz had was that she wasn't allowed to speak out uh, against these this attack and these abuse and, and all of this stuff. And that was probably true. That was probably the administration going, hold on, we need to get we need to figure out what this is about. When Jen Psaki was first asked about this, she had no idea who Jankowicz was. And that's, again, that's fucking weird that the White House press secretary has seemingly no clue who has just been put in charge of a governance board with, you know, this authoritarian dystopian name that even the Washington Post itself was laughing at. And I, I don't know if it was Charlie Spearing from Breitbart or someone who asked her and she had no clue. She's like, I'll have to get back to you on this. And then like the next day, Jen Psaki's like, Nina Jankowicz has been a loyal employee through the DHS for the last 12 years, and she's an expert in disinformation. She's an extremely qualified individual. And it's kind of like you just you, – you had no idea who this person was yesterday. And so that's why I said, at least to me, it appeared like she kind of approached them for this. Like she just said, hey, I want to be in charge of this. We should do this disinformation board because I'm tired of falling for these hoaxes, which is another thing she herself – fell for uh, disinformation campaigns. And I think they just went, okay, yeah, this sounds great. And they didn't vet this person. And that, again, kind of going back to what Matt said, the, the, the concern shouldn't, shouldn't just be Jake Wicks. She's going to be out there on CNN. You should be thankful for that, um, just to show you where this administration's head is. But the idea that they, are, they, they pushed this without even considering what people were going to say about it, and that's people on both sides of the political aisle, uh, should concern you on several fronts. Um, so yeah, I agree, I agree that it was weird how this woman just kind of popped up and arrived. And um, but uh, there we go, we have a new political character uh, on our radar to deal with. So yay, Jared. Same thing. Give me your thoughts on what you think about the disinformation board or, or anything else that you saw in the last week. So um, oh, top of the morning to you. Uh, traditional Japanese uh, morning greeting here. Oh, that's right. You're in um, Japan. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, a little less about specifically about the Nina Jankowicz stuff and more a little about, what's the word, um, kind of media distrust and government distrust uh, here in Japan. So um, I teach English, and a lot of my higher-level English students uh, will discuss politics and just things in the news. And one thing I've kind of noticed talking to Japanese people I do kind of sense there is, uh, and maybe it's it's always been here, but uh, a lot of the same things happening in America, like distrust of the media, distrust of government, um, and not really believing what they are telling you. Uh, that's a big sense growing here as well. Um, Japanese politics, it, it's quite a bit different there. Like we don't have, uh, or, or Japanese, there's no like uh, people singing show tunes on 
you don't see Japanese uh, politicians singing show tunes on TikTok or anything. But uh, it's uh, I do see a lot of reflections here uh, of what's going on there as well. Uh, and it's quite quite interesting. Maybe it's kind of a global uh, people use the term vibe shift or something going on that's like uh, the rise of new media, distrust of the legacy media. It seems to be kind of spreading everywhere. Jared, are there any restrictions on social media in Japan via the government or uh, via media itself? If um, so, for the, and for those of you right now, there's a there's a series on HBO called Tokyo Vice. Oh, yeah, it, it's based on, and I'm sure Jared probably knows about this, but it's based on, you know, the kind of story of an actual journalist, an American journalist working in Tokyo. And he's working for, you know, the Japanese newspaper. He's the first American to ever do this. And he learns kind of the amount of control the government has over media reporting. He's a crime scene reporter. And it turns out that all they do is the reporters in Japan in the series, they just get all of their information from the police and the government. They don't actually really investigate. They just kind of do what they're told. And it's kind of he trying to it's kind of the story is him kind of bucking that system to look at the underground crime syndicates in Japan. So anyone who's interested in that kind of stuff, it's it's a decent series. It's produced by Michael Mann, who obviously did Heat and The Insider um, and a few others. But that's that's kind of my question for you, Jared. Does does Japan put any limitations on social media like what you can and can't say? Um, and, And how is that enforced, if so? From what I can see, no, I haven't seen the series yet, but I'd really like to see it. Um, There's another similar, there's a book, what's it called? I think it's called like People Who Eat Darkness. Uh, And it's about a, um, this American, uh, so in Japan, there's this thing called like a hostess. It's, it's kind of semi-sex work. It's in Japan, there are these hostess clubs where, um, it's hard to explain, but basically uh, these like business people go in and just basically it's like professional flirting. You have these um, waitresses who will just sit there and flirt with you and you pay them money. And uh, so there was this American hostess who was uh, murdered by basically like a serial killer. And uh, the fa- her father came from America. It just kind of like tr- chronicles his dealing with the Amer- like Japanese police, like how uh, incompetent they often are and like how the um, media often doesn't help. But there was, I did see a few years ago, there was a big, uh, I forgot his name, but there was this one media, pretty famous um, media host guy who he quit, wasn't NHK, but it was one of the big uh, media companies here. He actually quit because he was saying the government had even more control than they used to and was taking even more control. And so it is something that does seem to be growing here. And there's always been like a much more uh, camaraderie between Japanese government and um, media, because I mean, Japan has the NHK, which is kind of similar to the uh, BBC in in um, Britain, but it's uh, directly funded by the government, and that's the biggest news source here. Um, but from oh, good. from what I can tell, there's the, I haven't experienced any like um, blockages or anything that where the government says you can't say this. It's it's still for pretty free and open. I think it's much more just like legacy media. Uh, much more like mouthpieces for the government and kind of more what America is becoming. Um, and uh, so Japanese people, I think, are starting to really wake up to that and much more and more distrusting of what they hear on the media. And, and like new media it, and YouTube is becoming more popular here as well. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. How is that expressed in Japan? Is it done through YouTube channels? Is it done through Twitter? Is it done through 
uh, TikTok? Is it done through uh, Substacks blogging? So when so when you when you say that it's it's be, it seems like the attitude's changing. How are you able to assess that just based on what you see from the public over there? Yeah, a lot of my my sample size is quite small. It's just uh, uh, people I who I talk to, like my family, my wife's family, and friends. But it uh, it does seem like there uh, like there's kind of a pretty most of sizable like pro Trump movement here. Like there is, I remember I think it was, uh, Jan- <laughs> might have been actually just after January sixth. There was a big pro Trump rally in Tokyo where they had a bunch of people. Uh, protesting in support of Trump, and it's it's for complicated reasons due to like China and support of Taiwan. And a lot of Japanese people have this idea that Trump is much more anti-China than he actually is. But um, and so a lot of that is just his more anti-China stances. And Japan is has a really complicated and weird relationship with China as it is. But um, like from just people I talk to, like uh, like we talk about like media and do you trust what you hear on the news? And just more and more, who, the students I talk to, they're just like, no, 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 no. Uh, my fr- like a lot of it's just like Facebook or um, blog. Blogging is still much bigger here than Substack or anything else. But uh, yeah, YouTube, a lot more YouTube channels and things like that. Interesting. Uh, as I'm kind of as I'm kind of sitting here uh, listening, and this is all like super fascinating. We could probably do a whole episode on just like media in Japan compared to Western media. Vanity Fair running an article, Substack is on a mission to fix a broken discourse, but his laissez-faire attitude about content moderation has put the company on the front lines of the culture wars. Will it be enough to derail their ambitions? So that's, again, legacy media there. And this is the kind of stuff that, you know, we I, I laugh at when it's Vanity Fair, when it's a traditional media outlet that's, uh, you know, dependent on gatekeeping and is usually mostly run by progressive liberals. And then again, Substack comes along and it's, Oh, we can't have that. We can't have unfettered conversations. And that's the kind of stuff where I look at and I go, this is, this is the stuff that Nina Jankowicz was try- was going to try to get a control under. So um, Jared, feel free to give me some final thoughts or wrap up there. What time is it over where you are? Uh, it's uh, almost nine in the morning. So I'm, I'm going to have to time uh, kind of these. Preparing for I have my to, lesson soon, but I have to time these for you. One, one quick question. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, one quick question is, uh, so in the, this year's, uh, with I will remember you, Alanis Morissette in memoriam song, we got uh, CNN plus the, uh, disinformation board, uh, democratic repul- control of Twitter. What else do you think will be on the, uh, this year's, uh, in memoriam video? Congress. <laughs> <laughs> That's, I mean, that's pretty much it. I mean, it, there's going to be some real, I think, interesting changes coming to CNN. Um, their, mm-hmm. their, their head of digital just resigned. She had been there for 12 years. This, this kind of flew under the radar. Um, and I forget her name, but she, she had been doing the head of digital, so head of the website, and, you know, head, head of editorial for CNN.com just resigned. She's out. Um, and she'd been there for 12 years. So you're going to see a change in direction for CNN's online presence and how that affects, I don't know, journalists or what they write or the content that they write. I don't, I have not yet seen a discernible difference between Chris Licht and Jeff Zucker. Um, He said kind of changes were going to be coming. And I know CNN plus getting folded was part of that, but um, 
we'll see in the coming weeks and months, especially as it leads up to election, how CNN wants to kind of regard itself. Does it want to go back to, like you said, kind of a BBC style uh, professional bias? You know, it's bias with, you know, nice accents and soft tones as opposed to, you know, Jim Acosta screaming about insurrections in your face or whatever. Um, so I'm still, I'm really curious to see what happens on that front. And also, of course, we know Jen Psaki is going to be at MSNBC and it's going to be, what is her role going to be? Is, is it strictly going to be on Peacock? Is she going to be a political contributor? Or is she going to end up on MSNBC as a commentator in place of someone like Maddow or Joy Reid or, or whomever? Um, so, I mean, the, the, what's going on at MSNBC is fascinating to me. They hire, they're just basically trying to pluck every single person out of the Biden administration. We saw that with Simone Sanders, who is not, catching on. We saw with Jen Psaki getting into a bidding war with CNN. And as I said, I think Karine Jean-Pierre has been on the job for two weeks now, and I'm willing to guarantee you she already has under the table offers, probably from CNN. Um, they're, they're not going to lose out on, on her. Um, so it's going to be interesting in the next few months what happens on that front. But um, it, it, there, is, there is a shift happening, and it's, it's happening on a lot of fronts. It's, again, we saw it with Dave Chappelle in comedy. Uh, you now have Elon Musk, obviously, in Twitter and what happens there. Um, and Twitter is implementing new content moderation policies, even in, even though they know that possibly they're going to have a new guy in charge. The new thing with Twitter, and this, again, is something like it wouldn't have shocked me if Jankowicz had a, had a meeting with Twitter in the last. She said she'd been on this job for two months already. So imagine the damage she could do in that two months. And Twitter just rolled out a new policy that says they're going to – hide or lock tweets that pass disinformation in a time of crisis. Well, what does that look like and what does that mean? Um, An example is uh, Comfortably Smug, obviously one of all of our favorite Twitter accounts in the Hurricane Sandy of New York a few years ago tweeted that the stock market was, uh, was underwater. And BuzzFeed went on to went on to basically dox him over these kind of joke tweets. So it's something like that, which to me, I clearly took that as a joke. I did not believe the stock market was underwater because he was making a joke about Turi in the subway. Um, but everyone knows that in a time of crisis, disinformation is common because people are trying to figure out what's going on. We saw this uh, with the Boston bomber. If anyone who was on Twitter the night of the, you know, the manhunt for the Boston bombers, it was fucking wild. There was groups of us that were up all night listening to police scanners and looking at live tweets. Well, uh, Andrew Kaczynski, K-File, at the time BuzzFeed, uh, participated in the doxing of a college student because they thought he had a similar backpack um, as one of the, uh, Tisarna, the, the Sarna brothers. And this student was doxed, and they found his name and whatever like that, and he had such a hard time with it that he ended up taking his own life. So is that participating in a disinformation? What what does that look like? Because we know in a time of chaos and we know as live time events are happening. Um, and Jared, thank you. I'm going to I'm going to go ahead and move on um, in this time of, you know, crisis where something live is, is developing. What does that look like? Is it, Are you going to ban tweets that just get something wrong? Well, you're going to be banning a lot of journalists. And so this policy was just released on Twitter in the last week. And so part of me goes, was this part of the disinformation board who, who helped implement this or push it? It would not shock me. Um, so, again, going back to kind of what Jared's final point was, there, there does feel like there's a shift happening where, you know, 
comedians are starting to kind of rally around Chappelle. Um, again, you have Elon Musk taking away journalists' favorite toy in Twitter. You have CNN Plus going under. Um, so it, it, it's it, I'm never someone who's remiss to say, well, that side is clearly losing. Um, but there are there are enormous. Uh, pendulum swings happening right now. And um, I don't know if how many of them are good or bad. I'm still on the fence about Elon Musk actually buying Twitter. I don't, uh, if you had to ask me right now, I mean, he, it, he, he says the deal could still be off. So part of me is like, yeah, he doesn't sound like he's, it kind of sounds like he just wants to like tweet about Elden Ring, which I'm fine with. Ian, uh, how are you doing? And like I said, just on the topic of the disinformation board or whatever, what kind of thoughts do you have? Well, it could be doing better. It looks like Tampa's probably going to end up sweeping the cats tonight. Yeah, you uh, never, but... you never ever take. First of all, you never take the one versus one seeds, and you never take them, especially if one has the president's trophy. So there's there's a reason why Colorado didn't make a push for the president's trophy this year. That thing is the cursed of all cursed trophies in all of sports. Well, thankfully, they ran over Bennington a couple nights ago, so that's going to probably give you a chance. Uh, B- Bennington's own man finals. ran over Bennington. You can go back and, and watch the highlights. Uh, I completely – I hate the Blues. I'm not complaining. I'm just saying. Uh, but in regards to the disinformation board, I think Matt from New Jersey probably uh, – Massachusetts, Ian. He's from, he's from Massachusetts. Get it right. God. I would have thought that someone that honors the memory of our dear departed uh, former Supreme Justice nominee Merrick Garland would understand where I was going with that, but I digress. Um, the The thing I'm wondering about the disinformation board isn't is really just why they decided to roll it out in the first place, because if you look at uh, at the way it currently works, the only real understanding I can get from it is to essentially serve as a point of providing information to fact checkers to just disregard things that Republicans are saying or to basically to serve as the mouthpiece of the government. But I I don't really understand why they're doing that based upon how the current setup is. And the thing that immediately comes to mind is I remember back, especially in regards to uh, the environment and climate related dangers, is I remember a piece in the Wall Street Journal in 2017 written by a climate scientist that was talking about how he was clearly in support of counteracting uh, climate change and how we need to make efforts and take steps to to counteract it, but that this talking point about how weather events are getting more dangerous year in and year out and more frequent, uh, like hurricanes, tornadoes, floods, wildfires, that the data just didn't back it up. And he wrote a piece about how he couldn't get a paper on it published anywhere and that he was actually getting sort of a lot of pushback in the industry about it. And so when you have that sort of gatekeeping already in place with the science that's being utilized as the basis for these fact checks, it just seems like you're being counterproductive and overplaying your hand when you introduce a disinformation board 
run by the government that's openly and obviously political. It sort of removes the subterfuge and just makes the subtext just text. And so I was just kind of curious what your thoughts on what the actual motivation of it was, because it seems like it's, it's just pulling back the curtain for no apparent reason. The motivation's control. It, it's not, it's not much harder than that. It's not much harder to understand than that. Um, well, I suppose the, my question is they already basically have control. So but not, why but they, are but they don't they have, I mean, you're, you're right that they have control over say the scientific narrative. So when they say a consensus of scientists, you know, agree with, you know, our, our assessment of climate change and global warming. Well, we already know, especially a democratic government's interest in, uh, in pushing things like the new green new deal and climate change, which is just generally it's government, social Marxism. It's getting people off of fossil fuels, um, which we're seeing them doing a really good job of right about now, or, or they're doing a real hard push to do that right now. And mm-hmm. so we know that it's mainly about control. If you can control what you call science, you can control what people buy and people drive. Um, if you can, if you, if you're in charge of things like healthcare, you can, you can control what kind of care people get. And, you know, um, and that's pretty much all it comes down to. So when you say they already have control, aha, social media is out there and people are allowed to counter that narrative on social media unfettered. And so that's why now you're seeing, you know, Twitter, Google said they will, uh, demonetize any, any advertiser, or any company that, uh, goes against uh, the consensus on climate change. We just saw this guy, I think it was HSBC Bank. Um, yep. He just gave a speech that, you know, mentioned some things about climate and HSBC went out and apologized. Like they said, we're sorry, we didn't know that this was the thing. of the. Well, part of that is because HSBC is now probably under threat to have Google strip all of their ads. And so you have this line of thinking where the top, you know, people in Silicon Valley all believe this this one thing because they're all progressive left. And then this is the problem with Elon Musk to them, is now you have a guy who comes along who is not necessarily conservative, but he he's out of the box. He's a little bit kooky in the way that he thinks. He he sits there and he goes, well, hold on, there's several ways, you know, and, and generally that's to me the funniest thing about Elon Musk is his electric cars could end up saving the planet and they all think he's Hitler. It's beautiful. I love it beyond like beyond words. Um, but he comes along and he just says, hold on, there's other ways of thinking. There's other ways of looking at these problems. There's, you know what, you, you might be wrong on climate models because climate models are generally not correct. And this is fucking what happens when you put a 17-year-old scoldy Swedish t- teen in charge of your climate policy. And so you say that they have control. Well, sure, they have, they have some narrative control. They have, you know, they have control with uh, what gets put out in Hollywood and, you know, whatever like that. But even then, when someone with a million Twitter followers comes along and goes, hey, you know, some of these climate models aren't accurate. Um, there's no real data to prove that, you know, hurricanes are getting worse by the year. Um, and, and, you know, th- there's there's data here where it's like certainly some of the earth is warming. But there's also studies like one from the University of Texas three, four years ago that suggested that the warming happening on the West Coast of the United States and Canada is natural and it cycles. Well, if you go and promote that, what happens to my Twitter account if I'm promoting an actual scientific study? So the fact that anyone's able to do that 
they see that as a threat. So Nina Jankos will look at, say, someone like me, who I have 330 some odds, whatever, Twitter followers, and then I push, I publish this study. Um, they look at that as, well, I'm spreading disinformation to 300,000 people when eh, it's not even close to that. Um, but they see someone like that as an influential figure, and then we must stop that. And also we must stop Fox News from putting this person on the air to go, hey, you know, some of this warming could be natural. I don't doubt that some human activity has, has a uh, impact on the Earth's climate. But for fuck's sakes, uh, you have people who are scolding you over your SUV, and it's the cliche who all took a fucking private jet to Davos this week. And, you know, I've always said when you people start acting like we're in a climate emergency, we'll start acting like it and we'll start behaving accordingly. But for now, you people don't seem too concerned. You, 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 you're the richest people in the world taking, you know, yachts and taking private jets. You know, you're sucking up most of the electricity with three or four mansions and you're trying to yell at me for my gas powered lawnmower. Well, nobody's going to take you fucking people seriously as long as you're doing that. So I know you laugh and you go, well, what kind of power? Well, I'm telling you that these people think that, you know, unregulated social media platforms like call in or whatever or Substack, they look at that as a threat because it specifically exists outside the realm of their control. And what they're so busy doing while focusing on that is they don't know why those places have power. They don't know why so many people go to these places to read, to, to think, to, to theorize or to have ideas. And that's because that mainstream media is largely a monolith of progressive thought. Well, beyond that not being factual, that also just gets really fucking boring after a while. And people are just naturally going to seek out other ideas and other forms of communication and other, you know, like I said, theories on things. It's just, it's human behavior. And that's people like Nina Jankowicz don't understand human behavior. You're not going to fix Twitter by banning people or um, by censorship. You're not going to do that because people are always just going to go find something else. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That makes sense. The, I suppose it's sort of, from what you're saying, it sort of seems like more of the, the telltale heart approach of they have Google doing this already themselves. They're already doing it with COVID, probably getting ready to do it with climate change. But just seeing the, the opportunity for Elon Musk to come in and stop that, it sort of spurred the need that, that does make sense. Uh, but before I hop off, I did want to get your opinion on one other thing related to the hockey playoffs. A friend of mine, uh, I, I know how much you are opposed to the failed terror state up north. Uh, a friend of mine and I have talked about for years the, the idea of an American sweep where every American hockey team manages to win Lord Stanley's Cup uh, before another Canadian team manages to do so. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, I would probably take the Canadian team before because you're saying that, I mean, it's an interesting, eh, yeah, I would probably still take a Canadian team because you're saying that, you know, organizations like Columbus would win a Stanley Cup. Yeah, um, that's the big, tough, the tough ones are like or Columbus. The, or the Seattle and- Kraken now are, you know, an expansion team that doesn't look like they drafted as smart as Vegas did. So you have you have a few teams that are just the Buffalo Sabres, for example. Um, I, I would tell you that with almost absolute certainty that a Canadian team is going to win the Stanley Cup before the Buffalo Sabres win one. So unless Buffalo hasn't won one, have they? Uh, no, no, they haven't. 
Uh, the I, I always thought the big concern was Arizona, but then someone pointed out that there's a solid chance that they just move the Coyotes up to Quebec City or Halifax, uh, considering they're about to be playing in a high school gymnasium next yeah. year. <laughs> Although I'm, there's no there's no coyote slander here. The reason why they're doing this is because they they failed. They decided not to pay their city taxes, and so we 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 stand that we stand the Arizona Coyotes in in this dojo. Uh, but no, I would I would take a Canadian team before I would take all because like I said, Buffalo Sabers, the Coyotes, the Kraken, the Blue Jackets. There's there's too many bottom dwelling teams. Um, well, I mean, to that, be clear, and, half the and, Canadian and, teams are cursed. Like, well, that's true too. But Toronto, I mean, still have... Edmonton, you Vancouver, Ottawa. You're basically hoping that the Oilers or the Canadians pull one out for you, and so you're or, or, or Calgary. I mean, Calgary's a good young team, and in Ottawa, it sucks. But they're they're going to be an up and coming younger team. I wouldn't bet on the Maple Leafs. Um, Vancouver almost made the playoffs this year, so they're 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 hovering around. And the thing about I mean, hockey isn't like kind of like football where. Every year in the NFL, some like team sneaks in, you know, like the Bengals. There's, it's never always the top two teams. Um, and, and hockey sometimes has those runs where, you know, like the, 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 the flames of a few years ago had that run or, um, you know, a, a lower team will just go on that and they'll end them. Then they get killed in the finals. So I, I get all of that, but I would still bet on, like you said, I still think there's more, more of a chance one of those four, four or five Canadian teams wins a cup before all, what, 2022 20, or 21 American franchises. You're basically asking me to bet on the Buffalo Sabres, and I'm not going to fucking do that. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's not so much a bet. It's more of how far can we get uh, before it, it falls apart. Uh, I don't know. Edmonton, I don't think it'll be this year or next year, but Edmonton's going to be right up there if they get their goaltending figured out. Yeah, I mean, Mike Smith's kind of doing it right now. Uh, I'm, I'll go ahead and hop off because the next person Here's, a chance. But great. go Thanks Avalanche. I need, I need the Avalanche to beat the Oilers <laughs> to keep that alive. Yeah, I think Bettman is pulling the Illuminati strings to have McKinnon versus McDavid in the West. I, I think that goes without saying. Well, I guess he's good for something then. Right, there you go. Cheers, Ian. Daniel, sorry we got a little long-winded on the hockey talk. That's just kind of what comes with playoff season. Uh, go ahead and uh, give, give me some thoughts on what you think about the disinformation board and, and what we've been talking about. Hey, Steve. Yeah, no problem. Um, I actually don't have a comment about the disinformation board, so I wanted to clear my comment with you first before uh, before we kind of get into it. In case yeah, you'd like just to go. keep the yeah, topic just, centered nah, just on. Go. Just right. go. <laughs> Dude, it's a fucking Monday night. So, uh, it's a happy hour Monday night. Just go. No, I'm going to yeah, kick you out. Yeah. You've been you've been waiting for what forty minutes. Get out. No, okay. <laughs> well, I appreciate that. I was actually curious if you had read anything about the performative woke gesture in Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. Uh, I I went and saw Doctor Strange last night. I had some free time, and I normally don't do Marvel films, uh, but Sam Raimi kind of piqued my interest a little bit on this. I watched Red Letter Media did a thing on Dr. Strange. So I thought, eh, I had a little bit of free time. And so I just said, uh, yeah, let's, let's go. Let's just go see this. Um, and I, it was just weird enough for me to get by on it. My problem with Marvel is it's just kind of cookie cutter CGI 
you know, action figures. It's I like what Zodiac motherfucker says, where it's just grown adult boys smashing their adult, you know, action figures together. Um, there were, I mean, I would have to ask which woke performative gesture because there's there's a lot of them now in Marvel films, and as I've laughed, it's to the point to where it's so forced to where it's distracting. Um, so there's a few woke gestures, um, and I guess I guess. Light spoilers, are you referring to the character with the two mothers? Yeah, um, and okay. I'm specifically referring to that because, you know, in, in recent podcasts, we've, especially with the don't say gay, don't, don't say it, don't you dare, uh, the don't say gay bill, um, you know, Disney came out and made the statement and they had the protests and all of that. But then with their next big blockbuster movie, the other main character besides Strange, she's wearing this itty bitty teeny tiny you know pride flag pin on her denim jacket that that's that she makes no reference to other than her parents and it has nothing to do with her character and then yeah her 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 parents who are referenced in like a 30 second flashback are then like sucked into the black hole multi uh the black hole of the multiverse (laughs) like see you later you had your time yeah the gay people are happy trying to get them off the screen now yeah. So, I just, I thought it was... and, that's, and this is and this is what I said about Disney, and that's obviously Disney's Marvel, is they do just enough to where they can pander to an American audience and claim they're being woke and inclusive, but they can also cut all of these scenes out easily without affecting the plot when they open the film in China. Yeah. And yeah. I mean that's a scene that will just get completely cut out of the movie and you'll never yeah. hear about it. Yeah. You know, he'll say he says he says to her in the end, you know, you're going to find your parents someday or whatever. Um, and th- you can you can leave that line in the film and Chinese audiences will. Go, ah, ah, ah. Um, but the whole scene, the whole scene about them, losing, you know, them getting the, the lesbian mothers getting sucked into the black hole, that can be completely edited out and it won't miss anything. And that's what I that's what I've said is my biggest problem with what Disney does is they're they're too big of a coward corporation to like make that a arc of the film and make that a topic of the film where they, all they have to do is cut around. And it's not just with, it's not just with, you know, issues of gay or trans or anything like that. Um, For anyone who saw Iron Man three, the villain called the Mandarin, which is an, which is an actual villain in, in Iron Man, except he's actually Chinese. They kind of throw you for a hook, which is that you think it's Ben Kingsley but it turns out the Mandarin is not Chinese. He turns out he is the blonde-haired, blue-eyed Guy Pierce, uh, and they did that for a reason. Iron Man three had Chinese government officials on set to oversee script changes, and this again is my you know my my hypocritical biggest problem with Marvels. I still went and gave them you know nine bucks last night. Um, but yeah, like I said, they're, they're too much. That's my problem is they're too much of a coward corporation to actually lean into these things. They do just enough to, you know, to say, hey, we're inclusive here. But then, you know, they can just cut those people right out or cut them off the poster or whatever. And then they can go make a billion dollars in China with it. Uh, we just saw, for those of you, we just saw today, uh, one of the leads in the Obi-Wan Kenobi series is a black actress who I guess is a Sith and she's hunting down Obi-Wan or whatever like that. And it was reported that Lucasfilm warned her about racist hate from the fan base. And I'm thinking, why the fuck do you people still give this company money? They hate you. 
They literally hate you. They hate not. It's not even they hate you because you're white or because you're conservative. They just hate you, the fans. To think that our fan base is so racist that you have to you have to warn a black actress about racism. Well, there wasn't too much of an outcry with Samuel Jackson being cast. And I grew up in the 80s, and I don't remember too much racism being directed at Billy D. Williams. I could be wrong. I was a kid. Um, but this is just ludicrous. And like I said, all these people do is insult your intelligence. And I, for those of you coughing up 15 bucks for Disney+, Plus, I guess you're just going to have to let the rest of us know uh, how that series goes. Yeah, yeah. So that was that was really my only thing. Uh, I'm... <laughs> I thought I, li- I liked the original. I guess the first couple phases of the Marvel movies. I'm just I'm, I'm not really into this whole multiverse thing. Once I left the theater, apart from the kind of uh, creepy horror motif that Sam Raimi kind of injected, which I kind of liked, you know that that just sort of eeriness with yeah, uh, the Scarlet I, it Witch and whatnot. Just, it was just weird enough for me to enjoy that part of it. Like yeah, you know, you can definitely you definitely got like that Sam Raimi-ness, especially towards the end. And I was like, okay, this, this is a little goofy and this is a little bit off the beaten path. So that, this, I'm, right. this I'm okay with. Um, yeah. But yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't, the, the multiverse thing is just an excuse to bring back all of the old actors. That's all it yeah. is. And once you, once you learn that it has nothing to do with the story it has nothing to do. And of course this film was about introducing, you know, spoiler, 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 X, Y, Z guy. I'm not going to say it. And, you know, giving the fans that, but it's all just about bringing back all the characters. So we're going to have Robert Downey Jr. in a film in five years and everyone's going to cheer. And and it's like, guys, you're just being played anyway. Yeah. I kind of didn't give a shit about the multiverse thing. Like it just seemed to raise more questions than I did to answer. Yeah. And even the, the spoilers about the new characters, because so much of that had been speculated. I was like, eh, yeah. whatever. Okay, oh, okay, there he is. Yeah, sure. Yeah. You know, so, yeah. So, yeah, that, that's it, man. Thank you. All right, Daniel, cheers. We'll go ahead and get through uh, these last four callers. We'll go through AD, Steve, and Donna, and Andrew will bring us home. So, uh, AD, uh, tell me what your thoughts on news about the, inform- the disinformation board, Nina Jankowicz, our beloved songbird, or I guess anything about Dr. Strange as well now. I did enjoy the the like the raviness of it. Uh, for Nina Jankowitz and Miss Info Board, I guess let's 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 play a little game theory. I'm, I I want to go bigger than that moment and think what is their end game there? In that okay, we've got we're calling these things disinformation to shut down the opposing arguments. They they lost credibility in the way that they operated, meaning the the media structures, and a lot of people tuned them out and went elsewhere. They've tried through regulations of, okay, we're going to go after social media. They've tried through disinformation. They try, we're going to go after Tucker and Fox News and get them brought down. What is the end game? Or is it purely a, they're just going to play perpetual whack-a-mole? Because people have clearly gone elsewhere. I would say that there are, between the First Amendment, between uh, likely an upcoming GOP wipeout and and just elections in general to, to punish these people, that they're they're not going to be able to control the narrative. They're not going to be able to shut everything down. What is the end game? Where do they go? Where do you think they go? What's your idea? I I think that they really are delusional to the point where they a lot of these people are true believers. True believers in believing that they really are right and other people really are misguided. And I think they believe that if we can just get that control and bring people back to the light, 
all will be good. Um, and I don't think they're smart enough to, to, to think that much beyond the people that are. There, some of them aren't smart enough. The, the Nina Jankowitzes and, and the Taylor Lorenzes of the world aren't smart enough. But like a guy like Barack Obama or people like that have ascended to that level, I think that they are smart enough to know that's not realistic. And so there is somebody pulling the strings on the left on at the media structure that that I think understands that. And that's where I wonder what is their end game, or is it just perpetual whack a mole and we'll just take that guy out and we'll take the next, et cetera. I think that um, it's more it's more the latter. I think it's that it, it is a they look at themselves in a in a struggle for information war for democracy. But if you've been around a while, and I mean not as long as Taylor Lorenz, who's I think in her fifties, um, this this is Nina Jankowicz is no different than Tipper Gore in the PMRC. You know when they thought that. Uh, heavy metal music was leading to teen suicides and cult murders like the West Memphis Three. It's the same playbook over and over again, which is this disinformation is killing people. We saw this with the Buffalo mass shooter, um, which is another topic we didn't even delve into with Tucker Carlson. Um, you know, you have this mass shooting, which is racially motivated, is racially driven, not in the way that the media is saying it is, but it was. And he they immediately go right to Tucker Carlson. And as I said, if you were around for Gabby Giffords, they, they did the same thing at the speed of Sarah Palin with that. They saw a political opportunity, said, we're going to blame this on these guys. And back then you have to understand it was a different political right who didn't really have social media and weren't apt at using it. And now you have kind of a newer, younger generation of people on the right who know how to counter this stuff and they know the arguments to make. Um, but like I said, if, if you just go back through history, they, this is the playbook's not really changed. The means of it has changed. Obviously, it's more digital now. Um, you don't have them blaming music, per se. Now you have them blaming stand-up comedy. Um, but then if you even go back to uh, the fairness doctrine, and now you go back to uh, censoring Rush Limbaugh, you know, Harry Reid censoring Rush Limbaugh. And when you just get down to that, the fact that, you know, the Senate minority leader was trying to censure a private citizen, no matter no matter who he is. I mean, you could argue his microphone and his wealth, but he's still a private citizen is insane, which is why Chuck Schumer sending that letter uh, about Tucker Carlson. It's just pandering, but it's dangerous because it's insane that you have the Senate majority leader telling an American citizen to shut up. Um, and that citizen being Tucker Carlson is, and as I've stated, I'm not the biggest Tucker Carlson fan in the world. Some of his arguments are good. Some of them aren't. Um, but I look at this and I go, how, you know, this is what led to Jim Acosta and Carl Cameron saying, we need to start throwing people in jail. And you just go, wait a second. Jim Acosta is the guy who made, you know, these free speech arguments about getting his white house press pass revoked. And so they don't care, um, about consistency. They care about their team. And I think part of it is, you know, Nina Jankowicz, I think, is in her mid-30s. So she's young and she doesn't have a history with the things that older people who have witnessed these kinds of moral panics in the past have. So as far as, like, the end game, I mean, you're not going to get Fox News shut down. I mean, they're gonna, they can keep trying, but they're not going to. They're not going to get Tucker Carlson kicked off the air because the more that, you know, the administration targets him, the more Fox News is just going to stand behind him because Fox sees that as a fight they can win. And they're right. Um, 
So they immediately turn to things like the Buffalo shooter. And then they say, okay, well, this was great replacement theory now. And now their latest chum in the water is anyone who's going to speak out against what's happening with Title 42 and the southern border is going to be pushing great replacement theory. That is as obvious as, you know, the color of the sky. Um, so their their end goal is obviously, you know, if you could if, if they could wave a wand, it would be that it'd be Fox News is gone. Tucker Carlson is gone. Twitter is our is our uh, platform that doesn't allow tweets. We just give out tweets and you can reply or not. Um, but that magic wand isn't going to happen. So, yeah, it's they, they believe they're in an eternal struggle for the soul of democracy, except they don't give a shit that right now the current White House press secretary is an election truther. And so people like me look at this and say, you don't care about the truth. You care about your team. And so, I mean, the end game is they're going to just keep getting discredited and discredited and discredited. And elections like November and perhaps 2024 is going to show them that, you know what, it's not working. What you guys are pushing isn't working. And one slight follow-up item. I, I think you're all very right there, and I think the some of, Nina probably is a true believer to a certain degree, and I think people probably are okay. Let's take these true believers and let's use them as our, you know, they can go out and do our dirty work for us. But you specifically brought up the the Buffalo shooter, and obviously, yes, they all went after Tucker and tying it to quote unquote great replacement theory. I, I saw on Twitter today it was a clip. I don't know if it was from this morning or last night. Um, a very much leftist, Brianna Greyjoy, uh, I, I think she was on Rising, she openly acknowledged that, yeah. hey, Tucker was right. We, people on the left were saying this for years. And yeah. no no one challenged her on the, on the merit of that view. They were just like, she's apologizing for a white supremacist. Da, 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 da. Yeah. I, I just, I, I don't have a point there. I just found that interesting of, she's someone that I follow because I, I like the leftists that at least seem to get it, call it straight, don't. Aren't, aren't dishonest to a degree. And I found it interesting that that was the really the only person. That, and it was interesting. You didn't even see that many people from the, um, let's call them respectable, right? And I don't mean like respectable with the media, a la your, your, your French or your Goldberg or your Bulwark, but just, hey, I write for this level of publication. I tend to keep my degree of, of candor on here somewhat professional and, and respectable. You didn't even see that many people. I saw it more of like kind of those lower level non-blue check influential conservative accounts that were bringing the point of, hey, this is what they said for a long time, labor it or not. Like this is what Democrats were publicly saying for, for 20 years is basically great replacement theory. And and now that you're calling that out, it's, we're, yeah, I don't know what I you're mean, talking about. Yeah, and Brown Joy Gray has a has a call in show, and you guys should listen to it. I, I'm I'm with you. I I have no problem with honest leftism. Um, I mean, obviously, I don't believe in much of it, but again, if if you're out here and you're at least you know an open partisan, I have more respect for you than if you're you know on TV telling me that you're the straight news guy. And Brian Joy essentially said it wasn't so much that you guys have been out here pushing this. It's Carlson, what Carlson is saying that you guys were doing, you have been doing. And great replacement theory is different in the sense of it's, you know, the cabal of global Jews are doing this. And the reason why he went and targeted black people is to give the cabal of global Jews less bodies to invade the country with. Um, So it's not even it's not even racism to the point of being directly racist towards 
African-Americans. It's, it's, it's anti-Semitism and it's the most evil form of anti-Semitism. Um, but again, the media knows that they can conflate those two things. They know that they can conflate uh, concerns with border security and a wide open southern border with anyone who says, hey, you know, there's a lot of people coming across and it's all of a sudden you're a great replacement theorist. And that's that's what Brianna Joy Gray was pointing out. And, and like you said, she was right about that. And she took a ton of flack, but she also held her own. Um, so, yeah, it's just to me, it's like you said, is what's the end game? The end game is just it's, you know, an eternal struggle for, you know, like I said, information warfare. And they think that they have kind of they think that they're in control of a lot of things, which is why Elon Musk disrupted all of that all of the sudden. Twitter really felt like it was at a point for journalists and the political left. And if you question anything along the lines of biological human anatomy, you're gone. If you question anything along the lines of climate, you're gone. And that all of a sudden gets disrupted. And Twitter has power in the sense of how much overemphasis our media puts on it. And I think if you saw Elon Musk take it over, you would see that the emphasis happen. All of a sudden, Tweets aren't going to be part of the daily uh, media diet on CNN and MSNBC. They would get away from that. And I actually think that that's the best thing for media. Um, Eddie, go ahead and wrap up with any uh, other thoughts you had. Like I said, we'll go Stephen, Stephen, Donna, and Andrew, and then we'll call it. Yep, I'll leave it at this and then hang up. I guess the one thing with that being the eternal struggle, and we're just arguing about who's lying, who's not lying, what does this mean? The, the frustrating thing about that is there is no conversation of ideas. It is not the idea of what's going to help migration, whatever your view of it. It's not what is the, the best migration plan for the country and how do you have laws that promote legal and illegal and, or, and ignore or push away illegal immigration. It's, well, you can't say this. You can't say that. You can't do that. This is different. That's wrong. That's disinformation. And it, it's just a little frustrating, ultimately, because it, it means problems won't get solved because you're not even arguing on the merits of solutions and problems. You're just arguing on the merits of language, which I think is what they want because they know people ultimately won't like their ideas and solutions. And I'll hang up. So it's, thanks, uh, AD. It's good to see you, caller. Stephen, how are you? Good to see you. Hey, Stephen, how are you doing? I, I'm good, man. I'm, I'm kind of anxious to, no, no offense to you, but I'm kind of anxious to get out of here and get revved up for my playoff game. <laughs> gotcha. Um, so uh, I've missed the, beginning of most of this i joined a little late um but i'll get in with uh the disinformation board and nina um you know it's a good thing that she's out first off um you know i'd like her for to to stay around and keep acting like a lunatic on msnbc and stuff um but i'm a little concerned about how quiet they're moving forward with this board um i don't really know i haven't been able to see who they're keeping up with Uh, i think you said michael chertoff or something like that um but do you feel like so I know you saw that uh, Slate tweet that was like Twitter's going to hide tweets that share misinformation yeah. or whatever. Do you feel like they're like this disinformation board is kind of working with Twitter right now, like behind the scenes? Uh, if you weren't here earlier, I, I kind of touched directly on that where I said Jankowicz announced that she had been doing this for the last couple of months. That's the other thing that was interesting to me is – her tweet said, I've been, I can finally let the cat out of the bag about what I've been working on for the last two months. And I'm thinking, wait, she's been doing this for two, she's been doing this work for two months and nobody said anything like no reporters figured this out. Like other than I think it was in a political blurb. And I thought that that was also really interesting. It's like, did she, did she go and tell reporters, Oh, I'm working on disinformation. 
um, or whatever. And so I'm like, in that two months, and Nina Jankowicz is someone who puts a lot of emphasis on Twitter and misinformation on Twitter and whatever. And there's theories as to why that is. A couple of people who are close to, not close to her, but have worked with her, whatever, said that basically she started to get on this beat when she got fooled by a misinformation campaign or a Russian disinformation campaign. And they said she kind of took it personally. Like she, she, she comes off as someone who just, you cannot make fun of me. You cannot criticize me, whatever. I will get you shut down. And so I think that there's a probably a really good chance that that was actually the case that she'd been working with Facebook or talking to Twitter and Facebook and at least saying tacitly threatening them that you better get this under control. Um, and now you have, like you said, the new Twitter policy of real time crises. And they said that could be anything like they, it could be, I, I don't know what, like another nine 11 happens and they're going to start blocking tweets of people going like Bush did it, you know, like what, what is that going to look like? Because as yeah. you know, in, in real time situations, I, I, I don't really have the luxury. So when so when a real time crisis happens, so like a, a mass shooting, for instance, or a bombing, or whatever, if you notice, I don't really weigh in a whole lot because I have to be responsible with my audience and, and my platform. Um, but once I do, you know, get information like that, you get an you get an, an informed opinion. I, I'll I'll comment on. It. I'll be like, well, this shooting's going away. And I won't say why, but you can pretty much guess. Or I'll say, well, they're going to enjoy this one for the next two weeks. So do I think that Twitter could have been working with them? Yeah, I think that that's a good possibility. And, and like I said, a couple of couple of callers tonight have raised that specter that Nina Jankowicz is not the issue here. It's fun on social media to focus on her kind of kookiness and stuff like that. But this board is still going to go ahead. They're still going to they're still going to do this. And they're going to do it with someone who carries to them at least a lot more credibility than she did. Um, yeah, like the crisis just broadly defined, like it could be a hurricane, it could be something like that. And I remember when there was a hurricane, like last August or maybe September, it came from the Gulf. I think it hit like Louisiana. Um, I saw this like Twitter thread that the average temperature changed like one degree. It went up one degree in like 40 years. So it stayed the same thing as 40 years, but one degree. And that's something that they could ban. Like, they can just be like, no, it was climate change that did this. And um, it can it can basically be any disaster like that. <laughs> it could be a tornado, and they could say, no, Joe Biden said solar or, like, windmills will solve this. Right, and that's ultimately, I mean, at least from the Biden administration. And, you know, I know our last guy just said, what's, like, the end game? That That's kind of what it is, is we're going we're gonna to push this to get our legislation passed, our ideas passed. And we're just going to prevent you from questioning them and no matter what that looks like. So, um, yeah, I mean, again, it, it wouldn't shock me if some of these ideas that Twitter's rolling out, which you would hope Musk would roll back, um, have to do with that kind of thing directly. Stephen, do you have any other, like, just finishing thoughts? Uh, that should be everything. Um, yeah, it's just something to watch. It's definitely concerning. Cool. Though. Good to hear from you, as usual. We'll do, yeah, we'll just roll Donna and Andrew, and then we'll just finish up. Donna, um, good to see you again. Uh, give me your thoughts on Ms. Jankowicz and our lovely board of disinformation. We lost Donna. Andrew, uh, go ahead and bring us home. Uh, just like I said, any, any thoughts that you have on Nina Jankowicz, disinformation board, whatever? Uh, not much. Um, when it comes to the disinformation board is 
it's just do again a part of it's just the hypocrisy of did, most of these people who are for it weren't they also the ones who are so much against everything that the Department of Homeland Security did 15 years ago during the war on terror yeah you you're, you're hitting on something also really important which is this, Nina Jankowicz, and thank you for bringing this up because you, you, this is this is a part of this that is under discussed as well. And I did talk about this a little bit on my podcast. Is she she is likening criticism of her to putting national security in danger? She directly said this while on CBS, and then she's also said the CNN where she said, "I'm the victim of disinformation campaign, and these childish games put our national security at risk." And you're absolutely right where I, I kind of joked on the podcast party like it's 2005 because these are the exact comparisons the political right was making during Iraq war and Afghanistan war and the post 9-11 world. And Glenn Greenwald, um, $1 drag level at versus media, um, aptly makes this comparison that if you look at MSNBC, it's pretty much the CIA security apparatus state. It's Nicole Wallace, James Clapper. Um, all of these people are just are now working in, in corporate progressive media. And you're right. Like they have kind of become the party of the FBI and the CIA and Homeland Security. And um, we have we have to rally against white supremacy, even though we let this Buffalo shooter fall right through the cracks and all of this stuff. And you're absolutely right that it does feel like in that term, at least the, the, the parties or at least the political aisles have flipped a little bit. Um, do, do you think in some ways that's one of the reasons why so much of the um, when it came down to it, so much of what the group that actually did when the Trump thing happened, when the when Trump won, that because of Hillary Clinton's own history as a hawk, more or less it became the the foreign policy establishment that really switched over to be um, when the uh, um, um, when the and became more or less the base of never Trump because you know it was Crystal it was it was Nichols it was um, it was Boot it was this sort of it sort of feels like it right. was those who were primarily worried about foreign policy uh, maintaining foreign policy became the um, became the vanguards and while I. I am more hawkish than populist when it comes to things, when it revolves foreign policy. It's not what makes me a conservative. So it's sort of like, you know, a lot of, I think there was this great gap between the two sides, that particular part of it. And that was the group that of the old, um, of those old foreign policy only people that more or less just switched over. I think it's part, I think it was part foreign policy. And I think part of it was, again, the national security apparatus. So you had, you know, you had the FBI, which was securing FISA warrants based on the Steele dossier. And part of that obviously came from the Hillary Clinton campaign. Um, and, and as I've always said, I was fine with the Mueller investigation. I thought Mueller was a credible investigator. He didn't run to the media. He just kind of buried his head. And uh, at the end of the day, he comes back with inconclusive, but most not likely. Um, but a part of the, also that was the cultural shift. Like you said, you had, you had them singing Christmas songs to Robert Mueller and you had Saturday night live doing this weird stuff. And it, a for whatever, for, yeah, for whatever reason they, they did flip over. And I think part of that was they did view Trump as, as a threat to the status quo. They, he, he was very unpredictable with his, Obviously, his rhetoric and his policies on North Korea and NATO and things like that. But there's also 
you have to go back and look at what happened under him as opposed to what he said. And I know when you're living in the moment, that's different. You, you, you are kind of like freaked out. So, but part of it is, yeah, you do have, you do have that, you do have that foreign policy corporatism of, you know, the, the hawkish right all jumped ship. And the problem that they, I think are realizing is once you jump ship, you're not coming back. So now you're forced to defend Joe Biden's foreign policy, which is not going great. And we saw that today with Taiwan and China, where, you know, the old man just kind of blurts things out. And now his administration has to go back. And whether or not he says the right thing isn't the point. The point is now his administration has to go back and clean that up. And this is kind of where they're stuck. And I I think that that's just how they saw Joe Biden. He's more of a steady hand. Well, and then, of course, Joe Biden goes and disastrously pulls out of Afghanistan, costs 13 U.S. service members lives, as well as several other Afghanistans, people falling off wheel wells. And now the Taliban is back in control and we can't get our interpreters out. And now there's no homes for any of the Afghanistan refugees that we historically airlifted. Um, And then what do we get from the Atlantic? The The group, the brain thinkers at the Atlantic is that was all your fault. (laughs) So um, I think it does. I think it has a lot to do with it. And I think, like you said, they, they simply just, they use that as an excuse. But I also don't think Jankowicz is old enough to realize that we've seen that playbook before, which is like, if you were on the political right and you can't criticize the president, you're endangering national security, whatever, right or wrong, that was the argument. And then she comes along and she's just like, you know, any criticism of me is inducted national security, grow up. And she just gets laughed at because we've seen this before and it didn't end well then either. Okay. Well, uh, two last things before I let you go, and hopefully you can go watch your hockey team. Oh, but, no, uh, no, I'm playing. One, I, I, I have a playoff game that I'm playing in. Tonight. Oh, I'll let yeah. you go play. No, the, uh, no you're good. But, uh, no, you're good. Go ahead. Two things. One, uh, I, agree, I agree. I think he said the right thing about China, but I feel it's just embarrassing that they, that they pulled it back. Um, and two, uh, my, um, no matter what you think about those um, Kanadistan teams – Connor McDavid's just amazing to watch hockey when he when he's on the game, isn't he? He he really took over this season in this playoffs, and it's I, I'm one of those guys where I root for guys who have high expectations to like turn it on and and, and get to that next level. Um, but yeah, he's he 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 did really this playoffs. I mean, you're looking at someone where if let's say Edmonton, they won't, but beats the Avalanche, goes to the Cup, and let's say Edmonton loses to the Tampa Bay Lightning, Connor McDavid could still win the, the Conn Smythe. Um, it, it's, it's crazy to watch guys like that just suddenly find another gear. And like you said, I mean, I grew up with the, you know, the Forsberg teams and the Joe Sackett teams of the Avalanche. Um, but it, when you see kind of a, a generational player come along, we saw with Sidney Crosby, as much as I fucking hate him, um, it is, it's, it's cool to see a guy finally reach that level in the playoffs. Because Edmonton, I mean, if you know anything about the Oilers, they had something like four number one draft picks in a row. Like every year they, they got number one draft pick, number one draft pick, number one draft pick. And I think two of them aren't even on the team anymore. And then they finally got Connor McDavid and people were kind of like, ah, yeah. And now it looks like he, he really is dragging that team along. Um, so yeah, he's, he's a great hockey player to watch. Um, and it, and it really is kind of cool to see someone arrive like, like he has in these playoffs, uh, to the point to where he's going to, he's going to be maybe the best player in the NHL for the next 10 years. But I hope the avalanche kick his ass is what I'm going to say, which they probably will. 
Um, they're, they're have a good they're still game, okay? Yeah, we'll see. We're, we're it's going to be a tough game. I'm I mean I'm not looking particularly looking forward to it. We're one of the lower seeds, but uh, we have played these guys, so we should be all right. So thanks, Andrew. All right, we'll take Donna here. I think Donna just dropped off. Donna, send us out on a bang on the misinformation on the misinformation board. Hi, Stephen. I have a really just a couple of quick questions. First, I was wondering if you saw Man over the weekend. Uh, I uh, no. <laughs> I'm a, I'm no? a huge Alex Garland fan. I love just about everything he's done. Uh, I when I saw the previews for this, I just was kind of like, okay. Eh. And then people that I trust as far as reviews, I'm I every every review that I've read about it, the people that I trust are like, well, that's a movie. That's uh, okay. <laughs> so I'm not. I don't think I'm going to go to the theater for this one. I'll probably see it when it comes, you know, to VOD. But yeah, I, this one might just be too far out there for me. He might have lost me with this one. The other one, I'm not big on body horror, um, which, you know, Alex Garland kind of is big on body horror. It's like the theme of all of his movies, um, even down to Ex Machina, where, you know, he's, he's stabbing himself and he's trying to check if he's a robot or um, and then, of course, Annihilation is pure body horror. The whole thing is fucking body horror. Um, I do find it funny for those people who don't know who Alex Garland is, but he did a film called Annihilation. And there's not Oscar Isaac is the closest thing you get to a male lead in this film. He's in it for five or six minutes in flashbacks and video footage. The rest of the film is all women. It's Jennifer Jason Lee, Natalie Portman, um, who the, the the actress who plays Valkyrie in the Thor films, and there was one other. And they go into like this bubble, uh, which is spawning like great vegetation and weird mutant animals, and it's hard to explain. But it is an all female cast, and it is a science fiction, smart science fiction movie, all female cast, and it bombed. And you didn't get the feminists t- telling people to go out and see this film or anything like this. And it's one of my f- it's one of my favorite just examples of hypocrisy of uh, like the progressive culture, which is they demand more representation in film and more leads for women. And here was a film with five leads that were all women, and they didn't go and see it. And so, but to answer your question, and men seems to be along those lines of the, the topics are misogyny and. Um, abuse and stuff like that. And it's not woke. I haven't heard anything about the woke ideology behind it. Um, but I'm just, uh, everything I've seen of it, I'm just, I'm not, nah, he might have lost me with this one. Yeah, it looks pretty bizarre, just, you know, just from watching the trailer. The other uh, thing I wanted to bring up was it looks like Vanity Fair is going after Substack. Yeah, I I briefly touched on that. Um that they all go after Substack and Substack maintains to have the right attitude, which is good for you guys. Thanks. And we're, we're not going to change our editorial policy. Get fucked. Goodbye. Yeah. I hope they keep that attitude because it seems like right now it's the last bastion of freedom, you know, freedom of speech. So, um, and I, I think it was, uh, AD or ad. I'm not sure. He was talking about how, uh, Jankowitz is probably just being, either hidden and still working for the government or is going to end up working for Twitter, which if she's not already, I'd be shocked. Uh, um, well, she, she, she resigned from DHS, but that doesn't mean she can't be retained in an advisor role. 
Um, right. I don't know what the disclosure is on that. Uh, as I've said, I don't think she's going to go to work with Twitter, not with Elon Musk taking it over. Um, I do see her in a contributor role for MSNBC or CNN as a as a uh, a disinformation expert. I do see that role for her. Well, Elon doesn't have Twitter just yet, so I mean, it'd be great if they hired her and then he'd fire her. I think that would be delicious. Yeah, I don't want I don't anyway, want her anywhere near any levers of influence or power myself. So I don't right? even want her hired there. She's she's absolutely crazy. Anyway, I won't keep you. Thank you for taking my call and enjoy your hockey. All right, game. thanks, Donna. Um, go ahead and wrap it up. Um, thanks, thanks to everyone on this. Like I said, we have not absolutely at all seen the last of this person. Get used to her. And as I said, uh, this is someone you should want out there talking about this because at the end of the day, when you cut, you know when you cut away all of the kind of the weird kooky Mary Poppins stuff, uh, you have someone who is a rabid partisan bureaucrat uh, who doesn't have any accountability with the own disinformation that she herself has pushed um, until, you know, they can get better at that. Then um, we're going to keep hammering them. So again, uh, thanks everyone for, I know this was kind of a last minute. I know I kept pushing this off. Um, whatever. Uh, I do plan on doing another one here at the end of the week on Friday. I don't know what on the topic yet. Um, but, and I, I do plan on doing that along with a podcast. So I will not have a voice on Saturday, but that's okay. So again, thanks everyone for tuning in. This has been episode 18. Uh, Nina, uh, um, versus media live on call in uh once again i am Stephen o miller you can get me obviously red steez on twitter and don't forget i also do versus media on patreon um maybe soon to be Substack. we'll see um which you can subscribe to there as well so once again thanks everyone for taking the time thanks for everyone for participating and like i said we'll probably see you all towards the end of this week cheers go avalanche